Hello, and welcome back to the Chris Ye Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Ye. And today, I am bringing you another joint production with Blitz Scaling Ventures. That's the Blitz Scalable Deal Analysis of Venture Capital Deals for April of 2021. Enjoy. Well, here we are back at another month of Blitz Scaling Deal Analysis. This is Chris Ye, and I am joined by Scott Johnson, my partner at Blitz Scaling Ventures. Hey, Chris. And we are recording today the deals from April of 2021. And this is a bumper crop. In fact, it's the most deals we've ever seen in a single month that were blitz scalable. Yeah, we have eight of them. And so we're going to breeze through them pretty quickly because we like to keep these podcasts to under 30 minutes. So we're going to be a little faster than usual. But the bonus is that you get to hear about eight really cool companies. And at the end, you need to stick with us because we're going to talk about three companies that are not blitz scalable. In other words, they're not winner take most situations, but they're really cool and we love them. And so we want to just alert you to their existence and you can share our enthusiasm or not as you see fit. But uh, let's get going with the first one, Chris, Plantina. Yeah, Plantina, what they do is they're a Filipino startup although they are headquartered here in Silicon Valley, and they make it possible for people to easily get loans and repay them just on their phone. And in the Philippines, there are a lot of 7-Elevens and other convenience stores. And what you can do with Plantina is you can instantly apply for a loan, receive it, begin spending money right away, and then you can also repay the loan just at the 7-Eleven. So it makes it very easy to all of a sudden have this giant retail network where you can obtain cash, where you could deposit cash, where you can repay loans. So it's a combination of credit as well as on-site retail buying. We like it a lot because we think that it becomes a lot of a a bit of a platform, right? It's a, a payment network in many ways, which we love. And it also has a land grab element because they've signed this deal with 7-Eleven, because they've grabbed a lot of this initial market space, we think that'll give them some stickiness over time. In general, we've been looking at a lot of emerging market fintech deals, and we think that one of the broad reasons why they're appealing is oftentimes they're going after people who are underserved by the traditional financial services industry. This is a chance to be the first player in to really start developing that lifelong relationship. So that's why we like it. And then from a distribution perspective, because they have the ability to use all those physical locations as marketing, every 7-Eleven you go into, hey, wouldn't you like to afford more by applying for your Plantina loan today? It really helps drive that as well. So we gave them a nine in both those categories. Yeah, when you think about it, this is a perfect word of mouth spread app, right? So you see your friend who's just as broke as you are, and all of a sudden they're buying stuff and like they can get that Snickers bar. It's like, how'd you do that? Well, I have this new app. And then every time I pay them back, it means I can borrow more next time. And ultimately you can see them developing a sort of a a credit history. And that could lead to a credit card down the road because who needs credit cards? Well, Uber wants a credit card. And guess what? So does Netflix. And so a lot of the modern, this is another big driver of adoption of these fintechs. A lot of the, the sort of modern uh, you know, services that people really love to have and, and consider essential require you to have a credit card so you can pay every month. And this is a sort of a stepping stone towards that. 
and credit card customer acquisition is super expensive. And that's because lifetime value of credit card customers is very high. So this is a chance to get in in a green field in the Philippines or you know, pick your unbanked country. And there, so there, we're, we're just seeing a lot of really interesting deal flow in this category. Now we don't give them super high marks for product market fit simply because we just don't know a lot. They're a seed stage deal. and We just assign those seed stage deals. If we don't have other evidence, a slightly lower product market fit. We also gave it a slightly lower market size just because while the Philippines are certainly a large market, they are not a Brazil or an India, for example. And as a result, it's a little harder to see natural expansion there. So we gave them a nine on market size and a seven on product market fit. But we give them high marks for gross margin and scalability. And that's because this is a fintech product. It is online. The offline components are taken care of by another player, 7-Eleven or the other convenience stores. And that actually makes Plantina slightly short of 80. They come in at a 79, but we put them on our list and we're interested in looking at them because once we talk with the team there, it could very well be, we'll decide, you know what, the product market fit should actually be eight, not seven. And all of a sudden it qualifies as a blitzscaler. That's right. You have to get more than 80 or it doesn't qualify for us. So that's, uh, that's an exciting company for sure. And there's a similar one called Atrato, A-T-R-A-T-O. And their URL is Atrato Pago, P-A-G-O.com. So atratopago.com. And the, the first one, Plantina, is just plantina.com if you want to look them up. And they use, uh, they're issuing loans as well. And it's also at the point of sale. And so what's the difference, Chris? Well, the key difference here is that while Plantina tends to focus on the convenience store, an actual physical location, and probably at a slightly lower price point as a result, Atrato is primarily focused on e-commerce. There's a very similar, very successful company here in the United States called Affirm. And one of the things that Affirm did is offer instant financing for e-commerce purchases. Famously, they're the providers so that when you wanna buy a Peloton, which is not cheap, you can get financing for it on the spot and you do it through Affirm. Atrato is doing something similar. And Scott, you mentioned when you went onto the Atrato website, apparently people are using it a lot to buy bicycles. Yeah, yeah, a lot of their retail partners sell bikes. And so I guess there's a lot of, a lot of bike riding where Atrato does business. Where, where are they, Chris? So Atrato is another one of these Latin American companies. Yeah. And we love Latin America as a, as a market because we think that it has closeness to the United States, a lot of demographic growth ahead. So we're pretty excited. Right. So um, it looks like they're primarily in Mexico. And so that's yet another deal in Mexico that we think is pretty interesting in the fintech side. And we've been looking at a bunch of these. Uh, okay, so looks like the next deal is not- oh, But hold on, let's, let's go. Atrato and oh. Plantina score very similarly. And no. the main difference is we gave Atrato a slightly larger market size because Mexico is a larger market than the Philippines and because Mexico gives you access to the rest of Spanish-speaking Latin America as well. So as a result, Atrato does score just slightly higher than Plantina, comes in at the 80 and therefore qualifies. Yeah, well, but talk about the distribution though, because you're not at the store with your friend and seeing them buy the Snickers bar you can't buy. So I, I think, you know, we gave a nine to Plantina and it looks like we gave an eight 
to a Toronto. And Correct. I and it's because it's for the very dynamic you described, right? So most of a Toronto's transactions are taking place online. So there's no friends there to see what's going on. There's no natural virality that results from it. But there is definitely distribution through those e-commerce sites that they're handling the purchases. And this is, again, similar to the dynamic that has powered a firm here in the United States and made it so successful. Yeah, and so they're both nines for winner take most, and that's because they're land grabs. And so there isn't sort of a natural network effect that builds and creates an impenetrable moat. It's the whoever runs the fastest just gets the most market share. And I, I guess I have a general question for you, Chris, which is, mm -hmm. can you ever get a 10 out of 10 if it's a land grab? Yes, it is possible, but it is a very extreme form of land grab. So one of the examples from the book is the example of Chesapeake Energy during the early days of the shale oil and gas boom here in the United States. And it is a literal land grab because you buy up the mineral rights on the land and you buy it by purchasing a 99 year lease. So you have a monopoly on the resources as a result. And same would hold true if once the customer used you, they were contractually obligated to use you from now until the end of time. And so it's rare for a land grab to be able to drive a perfect 10, but it is possible under certain circumstances. Okay, great, thank you. And so that's an 80 for a Trotto. And now we're gonna go to India where we have a classic network effect business that does get a 10 out of 10 and winner take most. You wanna talk about Spinny? Yeah, so Spinny is a used car buying platform for consumer to consumer used car transactions. Uh, this is, you know, something where we were talking about it before we recorded it. We're not we're we're kind of bored in the sense that this is a classic model. It has worked before. It will probably work again. And the thing is to apply it to a new market. This is almost like a the rocket Internet approach of taking a proven model and applying it in a new market. That being said, the dynamics of a two sided marketplace make this very powerful. Yeah. Now they've raised, uh, what did they do? A Series C, 65 billion general catalyst leading that. And I forgot to mention the Trotto has money from Excel. And let's see, uh, Plantina looks like uh, DV Collective on Popular Ventures. So they've got some, some top angel early stage seed investors well they there. had canaan in that's what that's what put them on the list for yeah, our criteria okay, they didn't canaan didn't lead but they're in there okay so what we're seeing is a lot of logo flagship silicon valley venture firms looking far afield for these high growth businesses for businesses that could blitz scale and we see excel a lot we see lightspeed a lot we see general catalyst a lot we now we're seeing sequoia more and more so Andreessen actually is, is in Mexico and, and, and beyond. So we're, I think it's interesting how these, these guys are becoming global brands and really spreading out their investing. So Spinny, I mean, yeah, we said they get a 10 out of 10 in winner take most. And what about the distribution side? Yeah, so, you know, it's a little tougher on the distribution side because there's no natural virality where somebody buys a car and says, oh, I'm going to get everyone else to buy a car. It's not like a group car buying thing. So we don't have a lot of virality. It's just classic distribution. You've got to go ahead and set up advertising deals and partnerships and the like. Uh, product market fit is good because the company is relatively far along, has a lot of sales. And so we gave it a nine out of 10. They've worked out most of the kinks. Market size, of course, is enormous. We're talking about India, we're talking about cars. Uh, gross margin and scalability. This is an issue because you are at the end of the day dealing with large hunks of metal. 
And dealing with large hunks of metal means there's transportation costs, there's a bunch of work being done in order to process the cars, make sure they're in good physical condition and mechanicals are working and everything like that. So we ding them a little bit on gross margin and scalability, sevens and eights in this area. And that's what pulls it down to being an 80. But despite that, because of the basic dynamics of a two-sided marketplace with an extremely valuable transaction where selection matters and the uh, purchasing is differentiated, it is a company that still is split scalable and it raised in its most recent round $65 million from General Catalyst. That's right. And anybody who's bought a used car and insert, sort of tried to do it bespoke themselves knows what a pain in the neck it is and how much the uh, service that a Trotto, sorry, that Spinney is providing can uh, can help with that. Like if you, if you could just in an app sort of buy your car and then it shows up and the paperwork's done, that's that's a really, really great thing. So, all right, now that's three. The fourth one we're looking at today is Streamlit. And this is kind of unique. Like we've seen a lot of two-sided marketplaces. We've seen FinTech. This one, we haven't seen that much like this before, Chris. Why don't you tell us what they do? So Streamlit is really interesting. What they are is they are an open source framework for creating and deploying data science applications. And, you know, normally when we start talking about enterprise software platforms, people start to zone out. But Streamlit is a little different in the sense that it is for deploying these platforms. You can actually go to Streamlit and you can see these applications. You can try them out. And so this gives unusually for enterprise software, a bit of viral growth and distribution, which is why they score well. So as a result of that, we welcome you to go to streamlit.io and check it out. Now, Streamlit doesn't get a perfect scoring winner take most. There isn't a specific network effect. It's that indirect platform network effect. If people use this framework, just like people use Linux or something like that, then you will tend to build over time that ability to really lock people in, but it's kind of hard. And it, only a very few companies, very few products are able to do that, a la Linux. It does get a 10 out of 10 on viral growth and distribution. It's almost the YouTube for data science applications. Gotta love that. Product market fit is very good. I mean, you can actually go to the website itself and see it working. Market size, we ding them a little bit. Data science, very hot area, very valuable area, but there's only so many data scientists in the world, and this does not suddenly make data science accessible to everyone. You still need to be a scientist, but we gave it a nine out of 10 on market size. And then because this is a technology-based company and it's all online, we gave it a 10 out of 10 for gross margin, a 10 out of 10 for org scalability. This is especially true for things like open source. Uh, we should note that we believe that their business model is ultimately gonna be freemium. So people can try it for free. That's part of what it contributes to the viral growth. And then finally, it does get dinged a little bit on scalability because if you're the platform provider on which critical apps are running, it means you need to be more careful about keeping everything up and running. It's a bit more of a challenge. We gave it an eight out of 10. Yeah, so the freemium, it looks like, you know, they're gonna have a Teams product for, for enterprise. And the thing that they do that's pretty cool is they make the interface really easy to build. They're just widgets that you plug into the data that you've got somewhere in the cloud. And so if your data has a nice API and you can just plug into it with Streamlit, then you can create these apps in a real hurry. And if anybody's ever tried to connect Excel or connect Google Sheets to other data sources, you've had that struggle, right? And that's, I think, how Airtable became big is they're really a database with uh, that sort of looks like a spreadsheet in the front end. 
And we've got an interesting competitor to Airtable coming up next. It's called Causal. And but, but before I do that, I got to mention that the previous deal, Streamlit, that's a Sequoia deal. They did a $35 million Series B in, uh, in April. So, you know, Sequoia seems to really like what they're doing. Um, and that's certainly a signal worth paying attention to. All right, Causal. So an All Excel right. deal, it's a seed round. They're just getting going, 4.2 million, but they do make it really easy to create models. So whatever kind of modeling you want to do, they, they can make that happen, but with data that's in the cloud. So you don't have to have the data all in your spreadsheet. The data can be anywhere as long as it's queryable. And therefore you can build some really powerful models really fast with causal. And as someone who's tried to do this many times in the past, I kind of love the idea. Yeah, no, so I mean, it's a phenomenal and interesting product. Again, if we sort of think about it, obviously the spreadsheet is sort of the Uber app overall and so many things are just a variation on a spreadsheet google sheets continues to be so powerful that even microsoft excel continues to be used quite a bit and so causal taps into that just the power of the spreadsheet itself going all the way back to dan bricklin but when it comes to causal what are the reasons why we think it's split scale well first of all there is definitely a platform element to it so while it's not a two-sided marketplace while it's not a social network it is the case that causal has its own kind of language right that's one of the things that makes it appealing instead of having to do all the fancy complicated formulas that you're used to doing and scott correct me if i'm wrong it's a pain right oh yeah no it's a pain <laughs> there's some pretty arcane stuff there but causal actually lets you put formulas in plain English. So instead of a bunch of cell names, you can just say users times average revenue per user. I mean, it seems like it's a simple thing. And yet that's one of the things that will set causal apart from a product perspective. And also what gives it some stickiness because people are learning essentially this new language in order to do it. And it has great things like built-in scenario and sensitivity analysis as well. So very cool product. From a viral growth and distribution perspective, again, we think that having these shareable models is a key part of it. Very rarely do people build a model just for themselves and hide it away. Usually there's other people who are tuning in, and so there's a natural virality that's built into that. We like that a lot. Product market fit, still a seed stage. You know, still remains to be seen just how easy is it to use. This is not a complex, this is not an easy thing to build. So we gave it an eight out of 10, but it could go higher. Yeah, Marcus anytime I think about no code, I think, okay, really? Like, is that really going to be powerful enough? I, my, my sort of skeptical brain kicks in and is like, okay, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Which is why we got to play with it and try yeah. using it. Uh, and then when it comes to the rest, well, this is a classic pure software SaaS business. Uh, market size, everyone uses spreadsheets, and these models are very common in any business, especially in financial services and other places like that. And because it's a pure software thing, that's a 10 out of 10 market size. Because it's a pure software product, gross margin and scalability for org and ops are basically 10 out of 10. It's just numbers. And so that gives it a score of 84, which is, again, solidly blitz scalable. It is indeed. So we really like this one. Excel did the did the seed round, as I said. I think I said um, 4.2 million. Maybe I didn't say that yet. So yeah. So you know they they've certainly got the attention of a very very savvy investor who sees everything and picked this one. So I think um, you know we're going to be tracking this one and using it, giving it a try. It's uh, causal.app, by the way, app. It's not causal.com. 
So if you want to check it out, make sure you use that URL. Next, we have Starstock, and we can add Starstock to the long list of companies that is trying to help you trade collectible things. And these collectibles can be NFTs and be entirely virtual, but in this case, they're not, are they, Chris? What does Starstock do? No, so Starstock is pretty brilliant if they can pull it off. It is a marketplace for people who are trading these cards to buy and sell and invest. But what makes Starstock special and what gives it a relatively bad score for operational scalability is they're taking on this big challenge. And the challenge is they're actually going to take possession, physical possession of all the cards. And so they have an operation where they take the card in and they make sure it's perfectly clean and they seal it up inside a protective case and they take the photographs of the card so it's visible to everyone and then they store it in a careful climate controlled vault. And the interesting thing about that is think about what happens with something like an eBay. By the way, people doubted the potential size of eBay. They were like, wait a minute, can you really build such a big business just off of random collectibles and things like Beanie Babies? And the answer is yes, apparently you can because collectibles are a huge business and because you can expand further from there. Now, the interesting thing about Starstock is when you buy a card on eBay, you go ahead and you bid and then you pay and then they ship it to you and it's probably sent to you via UPS or something like that and then you get it. And then you decide, you know what, I don't really like this card. I'm going to turn around and sell it. And you list it on eBay and this auction goes on and somebody buys it and then you ship it through the post office and it gets there in a couple of weeks. And so the velocity of transactions is just pretty slow. But it's, right. it, it's like what, what it used to be trading stocks, right? You get a certificate, like you physically have a certificate and then you'd sell some shares and then you get a physical certificate. There was no such thing as custody and sort of in, in the central clearinghouse, there was no custody up, uh, available to take care of that for you. And now you just buy and sell stocks all day long and the custody and all the certificates and all that stuff just handle, is handled by the marketplace. So they are kind of like the New York Stock Exchange and the custody agent but for cards instead of share certificates. And what this means is now you can do interday, intraday trading of cards. You can buy a card in the morning and sell it in the afternoon. Now all of a sudden the prices are not like an eBay auction where they are stable over time and gradually moved up and down by auction, but like a real exchange where the prices are changing in real time and you can buy and sell in real time. And that's obviously a, a big improvement over the current situation, which is why we're excited about it. We think that because it's an exchange, there's a strong winner take most argument here. Once you get the cards into your data center or facility, yeah, people can ask for the cards and get it sent to them. Maybe they wanna present it to someone for a birthday present or something like that, have a physical thing. But most of the time the cards are gonna sit in the vault. And so whoever holds the cards, literally speaking, is going to be in a great position and have a strong competitive position over everyone else because only cards that are in Starstock can be traded with other Starstock members on an intraday basis. So there's a strong winner take most dynamic layered on top of, of course, a classic marketplace dynamic. Then the viral growth, hey, guess what? If people wanna show off their cards, they can show it off through Starstock. They can uh, they tell people, hey, I'm selling this thing. You wanna check out the auction. There's a lot of reasons why 
it is viral because people don't buy cards in order to say, I'm just going to quietly look at the statistics. I mean, they buy it because it's a luxury good and they want to brag and they want other people to know about it. And best of all, with Starstock, it's stored in a secure vault somewhere. Nobody's going to come to your home and break in and try to steal your Honus Wagner card. So we gave it a top marks on both 10 out of 10 for winter pick most 10 out of 10 for viral growth and distribution, which is a huge start for anyone on blitz scalability. Well, and don't forget that one, one of the things you always point out is our buyers, sellers and our sellers, buyers, because those are the companies that explode a lot faster than if it's, you know, if you're just a buyer on the other side is just a seller. So this, in this case, it's more like Airbnb where buyers are sellers and vice versa. And by the way, all these traders, these guys who were like really hyper-focused on trading playing cards, they all read the same Reddit blog and they, they're, they're all, they, it, this is the kind of thing that can spread outside of just the customer experiences within the product itself. Yep. So from a product market fit perspective, we gave it a seven. We could be persuaded to go higher. It's just, it is a change. People have to get used to not having the cards physically. We want to make sure that that's something that people are okay with. And also it's just a series A deal. They're still very early on. There could be some kinks that they have to work out. Market size, we gave them a nine out of 10. We're not gonna give them a 10 out of 10 because collectibles are big, but they're not US healthcare or rental housing or something like that, or uh, all groceries. So nine out of 10, still very respectable. Gross margin, uh, this is a classic kind of exchange. You can't charge too much. You don't wanna to get too greedy, otherwise it creates competitors. So you have to keep the take rate at a reasonable level. So we gave it an eight out of 10. Don't forget there's also a bunch of operational work involved. There's cost of goods sold because you have to you know, in, envelop these things in protective casings and store them in a place. Fortunately, cars no, are pretty- insurance, you gotta pay. Whole bunch of stuff. And similarly for the org side, you need human beings to do this work. And so you have to build up an organization which carries with it all of its various problems, which is why we gave it an eight on both of those. And then we gave it a five on operational scalability because you got to deal with a bunch of physical stuff. We hate dealing with physical stuff. Uh, and unlike Spinny, where people are really used to cars or are, are pretty durable, you just put them in a warehouse somewhere. These are things that have to be kept completely safe. So we penalize them a bit. But despite that, they still get an 85, which makes them very blitz scalable. Yeah, when you put those two tens at the beginning, then you're just off to such a head start that you can forgive a lot of the uh, scalability issues. And we did that deliberately when we formed a scoring algorithm. All right. Now, oh, I should mention, Andreessen is the one who did the A round, and it's a modest A round. We've seen A rounds as high as 100 million, and often they're 20 million. This one's 8 million. So a, a, a sort of a, a throwback A round, if you will, by Andreessen, uh, near $8 million. And so we'll be watching Starstock as they grow. Um, PearPop is next. And that's, uh, by the way, Starstock is starstock.com, just the, just the way you'd think it's spelled. PearPop is a marketplace for social collaborations between musicians, craftspeople, chefs, clowns, diarists. Chris, what the heck is that? So this is one of the ones where we score it but we have a lot of questions. And you may recall similar companies where we had a lot of questions, companies like uh, Clubhouse, for example. And what PearPop does is it makes it easier for people to have a marketplace for collaborating on TikTok. So on TikTok, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's these short form videos and there's all these collaborations where people work together or they do a TikTok in response to someone else's TikTok. And it's an entire ecosystem. I try to learn about these things from my 17 year old daughter. She's my source of information for this sort of thing. 
So if you think about a marketplace, a virtual marketplace, all of a sudden it's like, well, there's great winner take most and viral growth. The winner take most because it's two-sided marketplace, the viral growth of distribution because all of these people are raging extroverts and insane narcissists and they're blasting out this stuff to every single one of their followers on a daily basis. So that gives it that 10 out of 10 for both. But there are some issues, the market size, is this a big enough market? Is TikTok itself going to be enough? Does this kind of collaboration really occur on other things as well? Is this craze for collaboration going to last? Uh, same for product market fit. Just how easy is it to do? And I know I showed it to my daughter. She's like, eh, could be interesting. But she didn't rave about it. It wasn't something that all of her friends were already doing and knowing about. So I'm like, mm, I don't know if the product is really there. Are people really going to do this? But if they can pull it off, it could be very good because it's a pure software product. So gross margin, 10 out of 10, org scalability, 10 out of 10, ops scalability, 10 out of 10. All you're doing is facilitating these collaborations and raking a little bit of the payments along the way. So yeah, so I think high primary, risk, high reward. The primary use case is if you're an aspiring, I don't know, singer songwriter, and you could get Taylor Swift to do a quick duet with you on TikTok, uh, how much would you pay for that? And well, I, I'll tell you, Taylor Swift's going to charge you, I don't know, a uh, million dollars. I mean, it's going to be a lot. Yeah, it's going to be a lot. But that's the kind of thing that's trading on here. So if you want to boost your cred as an artist, a craftsman, whatever it is, you want to boost your cred as, then this is a place where you can go do that. I think I think when I looked at the, the what's on there now, I think that's the primary use case. So I, as a you know as a chef, I could I could do a collaboration with a really famous chef and build up my credibility and my TikTok followers and everything by using their influencer clout. And so you know I, I we'll see it's a it's a we'll see thing and so that's why product market fit just you know we don't give it a huge score on the other hand people are dying to become influencers uh, there's a lot of people want to become influencers and they will pay to get there so this is um this is something where we're you know we're, we're fascinated by it yeah. But this also illustrates something, which is just because something gets an extremely high blitz scalability score doesn't mean that we just automatically say, oh, yes, of course, we should do this as an investment. This is where traditional due diligence comes in and where we try to collapse the wave function. We're making these assumptions about things like product market fit and how people are going to adopt it. And part of investing is really digging into that and seeing, does it actually work the way that it appears to from the outside? Yep. So they did a 10 million A round and they've got Bessemer in there as an investor. So they've got good backing and they've got enough money to, they're, they're in LA, which is certainly a place where there are a lot of influencers to tap into. So, you know, there's, there's good opportunity for them to really give it a shot. So we're, we're rooting for them. And last and certainly not least is Facily uh, or Facili. Facili, yes. And so this is a company that is growing so fast that we can't believe it. It is, gets 10 out of 10 in winner take most and viral growth through di and distribution. And if you're familiar with Pinduoduo, it's, uh, that's out of China and the group buying that's going on with that platform, then you'll understand this very quickly because this really is pretty much the same thing, but in Brazil. And it's... Um, 
it's raising its third round this year. So they did an A round early in the year. They did a B round in that closed in April. That was 41 million. And now they're already ready to close their C round. That's how fast this company is growing. And that's how important it is for them to just become the leader in Brazil. And they are the leader and they need to maintain that lead. And I don't see how anyone's ever going to catch them. So, uh, Chris, you want to just go into a little more detail on what they do? Yeah, let's talk about group buying. So the idea behind group buying, it's something that produces both winner take most and viral effects, which is what makes it so powerful. Group buying means that we're going to aggregate demand and then we're going to cut out the middleman. And in Brazil, there's a lot of middlemen for staples like groceries and thinking about a dozen eggs or a carton of milk or something like that. And so by cutting out the middleman, going directly to the producers and aggregating the demand, uh, Fasili is able to charge much, much less. So just imagine if you go to the store and a gallon of milk costs $4, then on Fasili, you might be able to get that gallon of milk for 50 cents. But in order to get that gallon of milk for 50 cents, you'd have to convince eight of your friends to also join the platform and buy that gallon of milk. And therein lies that massive virality. The viral, the viral growth here is insane. The revenue growth here is insane. They're currently only in two cities, and yet the growth is just astonishing. And this is why we're so excited. And the market is enormous, right? We're talking about groceries and staples. We're talking about the vast majority of inhabitants of Brazil, one of the biggest economies in the world. And then potentially this same model could be expanded overseas, although I'd like to see them dominate Brazil first. So we think it's really exciting. They've also got a good handle on their unit economics. Uh, they are able to be positive gross margin and they've figured out a clever way of scaling up the logistics side of it, getting this stuff into people's hands. So all in all, this is one of the top scoring companies we've seen. And that's with still just an eight out of 10 on product market fit. We think that we may be underestimating the product market fit. It might be even better. And it's coming in at a 92 and it might even be higher. And this is a company where we are very eager to invest. Yeah, it could go a little higher, but there are logistics here and that's a scalability break. So there's, there's a little bit of a, you know, there's a, there's a ceiling to, to their, um, to their score, but it's already at 92 and that's, that's plenty. We rarely see companies in the nineties. So this one is, uh, uh, by the way, the team's awesome. And so, um, they've got some of the best money in Brazil. The, the B round was 41 million. C rounds can be a little more than that. Uh, they've got Manashis, which is a great uh, investor in Brazil. Founders Fund is an investor here, which is how it hit our radar. And we are we are certainly aggressively pursuing this one for investment. Uh, it's it's um, you know it, it's it's yet another example of how quickly a blitzscaler can grow in emerging markets. Emerging markets are emerging and the U U.S. market is, you know, it's a little tougher to find the things that could really explode in the U.S. market. When you do, it's amazing and it's a huge market. And so obviously that's worth doing. But I think there's a lot more low hanging fruit uh, globally than there may be just in our backyard. Now, we also had a couple of companies, as we mentioned at the top, that we just love, but are not blitzscalers. But we want to share them with you anyways, because it illustrates that a great company or a great product is not necessarily blitzscalable. Uh, it can just be something that is a great business. 
So the first one is a company called Quadrant Eye. And what is amazing about Quadrant Eye is you can get a prescription for glasses without going into an optometrist. It does it all online using existing hardware and software. Wait, you mean and, I don't have to go in and then look in the, the binoculars or stand and try to read the chart? I does this look better or does this look better? Does this look better or does this look better? Yeah. Uh, it's a horrible, horrible process, especially during a pandemic. You certainly want to minimize the amount of time you spend it in closed space. And to be able to do that online is just amazing. And the only issue is, you know, where's the network effect? You know, where's the winner take most? I mean, there's some virality because people say it's so cool, but uh, we don't see the blitz scalable Ricky Bobby market or Glengarry Glen Ross market. So not super strong, but we love the product market fit and the market size is, is great. And, you know, certainly a scalable solution. So it, it, it has some elements of a great business for sure. And it's just such a cool product that we had to bring it to people's attention. Yep. Next up is First Base. What First Base does is it helps companies track and manage all the physical assets associated with their remote employees. So this is another company where we think that the secular shift to having more remote employees is going to be very important. And obviously, if anyone's ever dealt with uh, IT in a large company before and, and asset tracking and who's got which laptop and so on and so forth. Just think about how much worse it gets when it's not in the office, but it's rather sitting in people's homes across the country. So figuring all that out, managing to track and, and deal with those things, that seems like it's something that's going to be important in the future. But this is a classic enterprise software thing. There's no particular network effects. I guess there could be a land grab, but really once you get things into a system, once you know what the assets are, you should be relatively easily able to export it into another system, but it just seems like it's the kind of thing that we're going to need more of in the future. Yeah, just a really great idea. I th I'm sure we all know somebody who's got, you know, leftover stuff from the company they were working at in their office where the chair never got reclaimed or the standing desk is just, you know, they never came back to get it. And so now you have this standing desk. So there's a, there's a real need here and companies can save money and it's just part of the new paradigm and this is an important part of it and lastly is synthesia which is a series a from first mark by the way um, first base was done by andreessen and kosla did the seed round for quadrant i um, so these are both series a's so, so uh, synthesia.io not com and what do they do chris so Synthesia is fascinating. What they do is pretty straightforward. They have a bunch of avatars, basically people, realistic human looking people, probably they're based on real human beings. And you can just put in the text and those avatars will speak the text. And that's it. It's basically like deep faking for the purposes of creating narrators for your videos. So you could give someone, you could get someone uh, reciting the Star Spangled Banner or what have you, and it will all look realistic because of deep fake technology. Now, what Synthesia does is, of course, you could just generate these videos from the text itself, but then they allow you to really do things like customize. I want a custom avatar. Maybe it's the avatar of our CEO. I want to custom the voice, record an actual recording, and then sync up the video with the actual recorded voice instead of an artificially generated voice. And these are, of course, premium things that people have to pay more for, which makes a lot of sense. Again, just so cool, science fictional type stuff, magic type stuff. 
but you know is it winner take most well once you create the video it's just there uh, there's no reason why it's better to create a synesthesia video instead of somebody else's deep fake video and so as a result it's like well it's not really winner take most but it's just such a cool product you know in a pinch you could make a land grab argument here but you know fundamentally probably not i think when just just to clarify something when you think avatar sometimes you think sort of cartoon character that's not what this is this really looks like somebody paid an actor or actress to actually speak these lines and so if you think about uh you know product feature sort of how-to videos where you don't want to hire somebody to professional to create those videos if you could just type what they're supposed to say and press go and suddenly you have the video that explains how to add the customer to the crm system or whatever you know i think there's uh there's it's just good a lot of enterprises are going to use this for that kind of thing where it's it's customer support it's it's trying to prevent the phone call trying to get people to know how to use your software your product whatever it is without having a phone call without having to do any custom training and that's a big a big opportunity yep so there you have it we covered 11 companies this month an all-time high but it just goes to show you that human ingenuity is amazing the startup world continues to produce lots and lots of fascinating companies and we are so excited to be a part of this absolutely right and so chris always great to do these podcasts with you i enjoy them thoroughly thank you so much scott as do i and we will look forward to your rejoining us in a month when we go over the blitz scalable deals for may of 2021 this is chris yay on behalf of scott johnson thank you for listening